Christendom, the Apostles' Creed really gets to the crux of the matter. It gets to the heart. It gets to the most important thing at issue. There are a lot of things we believe about Christianity, and they are summarized in the Apostles' Creed. But if the Apostles' Creed is the crux of Christianity, then what we are talking about today the crucifixion, the death, the burial of Jesus Christ is the crux of the gospel. Crux is Latin from cross. It is that which is the focal point. So listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as we read this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and starting with verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture's that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Father, Almighty God, we praise you and we thank you for the wonder and the mystery about which we have been singing. Lord, if, if I had all week to preach, or even all month, or all year, or the rest of a lifetime, even in eternity, we could never exhaust all that is here about you sending your son to die on Calvary's cross, to be buried, and to be raised again on the third day. But Lord, just in brief, help us to understand some of the implications of what the creed talks about straight out of Scripture. And Father, we pray that at the end of this time, if we are believers, that we would grow in this gospel in which we stand and in which we are being saved. We're working out our salvation. And if there are any here today who do not know Jesus, I pray not only the truth of, of your word would find its way into their heart, their heart would be fertile soil, that your Holy Spirit would take your word as only you can do, and you would bring forth life and transformation. So God, I, I pray, I call on you for your help. As I preach, but I call on you for your help as these, my brothers and sisters in Christ, listen. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'll give you a break. You've been standing for a while. But we are going to say at least part of the Apostles' Creed. Now, I know that many of you are Baptist. You didn't grow up saying the Apostles' Creed. If you're a Methodist, uh then you probably did, or another more liturgical denomination. But uh, we will say the first part only on this slide together. And of course, we're concentrating on the last line. So let's all say this together. It's an affirmation of what I hope you believe in your heart. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Jesus Christ was crucified. I know that we've, in the last couple of weeks, the part of the Apostles' Creed that talk about Him being conceived by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary, they're pretty much Christmas texts, okay? Now it almost seems like we're jumping into Easter. But I want to remind you that in a very real sense, that every day we need to remind ourselves of the Christmas story, the conception, the Holy Ghost conception of Jesus Christ, the God-man, who was born of the Virgin Mary and very quickly jumped, as the creed does. Now, I shared this last week. To some people, it's kind of interesting that nothing about the life of Jesus, nothing about the teaching of Jesus is mentioned in between his birth and his crucifixion. And I really believe that in order to instill this in the early Christians and even still today, It is basically saying what the Bible from cover to cover says, that Jesus was born to die. Jesus Christ was crucified. Paul says here, for our sins according to the Scriptures. Crucifixion was the standard way. It wasn't the only way. But it was the standard way of executing the worst of the worst among criminals and evildoers in the Roman Empire. I believe that the creed specifies how Jesus was killed. It could have just said he died. But it didn't. It said he was crucified because that's how the scriptures Specify it. Crucify. Absolutely one of the most horrific forms of, I almost can't call it punishment. It is, it is torture. One of the most horrible kinds of execution ever devised. There was incredible agony and suffering physically emotionally. See, one of the things that we don't really get uh, about the shame that Jesus bore, the shame of crucifixion is this, that in most of our movies, in most of the, in fact, all that I can think of, of the works of arts, Jesus is always covered with a loincloth. That's for propriety's sake. That's the way it should be. But in a culture of shame, as Jesus grew up in, the prisoner, the one to be executed, was stripped naked. Now, the physical suffering, we we often focus on that, but in that culture of shame, we have enough of that we, we can sometimes relate to. Can you imagine hanging there totally exposed for everyone to see, and so the shame was a huge part of it, utterly humiliating. It was reserved for evil, evil people. In fact, an early critic of Christianity said of Christianity 
because of this very fact, they worship and obey an evil man and his cross. The year before I came to Heritage Baptist Church, that would have been 2005, 15 years ago this spring, there was a movie that came out, I mentioned it last week, that caused a lot of stir. I don't know how many of you have seen it. If you're old enough to have been mature enough to see it back then, it was called The Passion of the Christ. And there, there was a special screening of The Passion of the Christ which, uh, that, that I went to, took Jan, we took some of our staff members to. I was serving in Little Rock, Arkansas, and we, we, we went to that screening, and I'd heard about it. And I've got, I've got to tell you that my, my, whole, my whole physical condition w- was changing as we were viewing it because if you've seen the movie, it begins to... to and by the way, I'm not, I'm not recommending the movie in Toto. It's, it's, there, there are a lot of holes, there are a lot of gaps in it. But, but the thing that I'm trying to get to, it, it showed pretty well at least one aspect of it. And I'm sitting there and I'm anticipating... The, the scourging, the, the, the part where they lead him up and the scourging. And my heart literally started beating faster in anticipation of it. It was a physical, it was very visceral. And I can tell you there, there was, this is interesting, there was a mixture of, of emotions going on in that theater. It was so brutal, and I'm not going to get into the physical aspects of it. I didn't show pictures last week. I'm not going to show pictures today. But it, it was so brutal that there were some that couldn't take it. They got up and left. But then, th- the other side of that, there were some people that, what do you do when you go to a movie? What do you always get before you go into the movie? Popcorn. And, and they're sitting there eating popcorn. I, I just I couldn't understand. How, how can you eat anything? Seeing what you're see, seeing, sickening. And so think about it, the word crucify. Think about what it meant. I know, I've used it before. Always talk about jewelry, okay? And, and I'm sure that a lot of you have crosses, a little pendant, a little necklace with a cross or a cross on your keychain. And that's not bad, I know that there are some people who have put down that wearing a cross, people not realizing what they're wearing. We do need to realize what, and it's a beautiful symbol to us. And we'll get into that in in just a few minutes. But one of the things that I've said in the past and that others have said is, would you wear a necklace with a, well, let's say like this, an electric chair? on the end. Now, I I went online. I was surprised. Do you know? Some of you may want to run out and get it. You can get a little pendant rather than with a cross and you can wear it around your neck as a chain with an electric chair. Oh, and there's one other thing. You You can get a pendant that actually has, this is all in gold or silver and you can, there's a little Christ sitting in the electric chair some people well yeah yeah and you say well I thought about asking for a show of hands oh by the way you can also get a little guillotine 
You really can to where? Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I was going to ask for a show of hands, how many of you would run out and buy a little electric chair to wear around your neck? Now, some of you would as a conversation starter. What are you wearing that for? Because I worship and serve someone who was executed in a horrible manner. And that's basically what you're doing when you say that you're wearing the cross because of what Christ has done for you. Now, you know this, that the physical suffering was not by a long shot the worst that Jesus went through. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But why the cross? Have you ever asked that? For about three weeks, I've been anticipating this, doing some study, looking at this. Why the cross? Why the most horrible form of execution ever devised? Why the horror? Was it really necessary? And the answer is yes. Again, we, we were singing, weren't we, just a few minutes ago? Come behold the wondrous mystery. And there will always be a mystery to this. But one of the things, in fact, the thing, the crux. We said a minute ago that the crux is the cross. But something had to be behind the cross. What was behind the cross? Interactive preaching. Okay. When I pause sometimes, I, it's okay if you blurt out. If you don't know what, what to say, just say amen. Paul tells us what's behind the cross, doesn't he? I delivered to you as the crux of everything that I do, of all that the Bible says, I'm delivering it to you as of first importance, what I received, that Christ died. He was crucified on the cross. Why? Why? For our sins. The utter sinfulness of sin. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, Paul calls this the sin that we do, that the law shows us. And the reason that the law came into being was to show us that sin, he says it like this, is exceedingly sinful. Do you believe that? Our culture doesn't, and I'm afraid that somehow it's, it's, it's seeping into the church. In fact, it's been doing so for about the past 20 or 30 years. Now, we, we can look at several different contexts for this. We know that in the world that, that it's been going on, but at least in, in our country, I, I think if you go back and do a historical look of you, not that everybody was perfect or everybody was Christian, but there at one time was a base, a Judeo-Christian ethic that pretty much guided at least the overall moral compass of our country. But something happened, and in fact, a guy wrote a book in 1980, Carl Menninger. As far as we know, he was not a Christian. He was one of the founders of the Menninger Clinic. Sometimes he's called the father of modern American psychology, so we know a little bit about where he's coming from. But he, he started seeing a pattern. And so he wrote this book in 1980 entitled, What Ever Became of Sin? 
You know what he was lamenting? It's a lot of what we see in our culture and in our churches and in our families and, and among marriages and things like, like that. He was, he was basically saying there has been a shift because for years people took responsibility for their own actions by saying what I did was because I'm a sinner and I sinned. Not all across the board, but that was the primary thrust. But in those days and since then, we have come to embrace a victim mentality. Oh, oh I, I did what I did. It was a mistake because of my upbringing or lack thereof. Or I did what I did and then fill in the blank with all kinds of excuses. And Miniger, who as a non-Christian was, was lamenting the fact people are not taking responsibility anymore for the, for the reality that sin is exceedingly sinful. So we go back and we look at some of the essentials in, in the, the Apostles' Creed. We see that God is our creator. He is the maker of all things. And as our creator, he is demanded, you shall, help me out with this, love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. Have we? Have you? The answer is no. That's the problem with mankind ever since Adam sinned in the garden. We have all loved other things more. That's what sin is. It's dishonoring and rebelling against God by loving other things more than we love Him and running after those things rather than running after God. Therefore, sin is not small because it is not against a small king. Just let that soak in. The seriousness of an insult rises with the dignity of the one insulted. So you, you can say, now, now I know in the Bible there are no classes, but you can, you can say, you idiot, to a brother or to a sister. I know none of our teenagers have ever done that. I know that you probably haven't either to other people. You can say it, and, and, and it's bad, and, but you can get away with it. But if you go to the President of the United States or you go to another world leader and you say, you idiot. Now, some people really need to take notes with this. You, you may want to think twice. and you, Let's change the, the context. Let's say you were saying that to King Herod. You better think twice because he could take your head off. Now, I want you to think about sin. We're trying to work our way through this. The creator of the universe is infinitely worthy of respect and admiration and loyalty. So, failure to love him is not trivial. It's treason. That's why Paul 
talks about this. The penalty for sin is death, and it must be paid. So how could God, and how does God, punish all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? What's the answer to that? How does He do that? Two ways. And by the way, I've said this before, but you can know. We've talked about sin, and still I I, I sense that there's... We need to think more deeply about this, the utterly, the exceeding sinfulness of sin that we don't really get. But we know sin is bad. We read a verse like that, but we know sin is bad because God, number one, has created hell. And if you haven't read what the Bible says about hell and the eternity of hell and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and ever. Sin must be bad for God to create a hell to punish for eternity those who sin. But the other way that we know that sin is bad is to look at the cross. The cross, again, is the crux. We know that sin is bad because of God's punishment that was meted out on his son on the cross. You see, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know what follows that? Well, obviously, that's Romans 3.23. Romans 3.24 follows that. And this is the wonderful message. We're we're not going to really get at the justification part of that. That's going to come later. But we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a, say this word with me, propitiation, very good, by his blood to be received by faith. There's a reason behind this, the way that God did it. And here's the reason. This was to show God's righteousness so that he might be not only just, but the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, if God were not just, there would be no demand for His Son to suffer and die. And if God were not loving, there would be no willingness for His Son to suffer and die. But God is both just and loving. Therefore, His love is willing to meet the demands of his justice. So what happened on the cross? Jesus died. Think of it. Really, you ought to never, ever say that again as a standalone statement. The correct way of saying it is Jesus died. He was crucified for our sins. Now, let me put up Something that that I hear all of the time and more and more again in a permissive culture that excuses itself. And and they would hear a message about this point and they would say, "I'm, I'm I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. How can you believe in a God who casts people into hell or who punishes his son for something, he's, he's innocent for something he didn't do in the place of people who did 
horrible things. Many times they'll say it like this. The God I serve is a God of love. They haven't really read what the Bible says about this God of love. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent... How do we know that God is love? Because He sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the, say it with me again, propitiation for our sins. Now, I want you to write down that word, propitiation. I know that's a big word. And sometimes people will say, oh, Pastor, don't use big words because children can't understand them. Just use the word and explain the concept. Use the word and explain the concept, parents. Because here is what we believe. If you're going to come to the new member class and, and discover what we believe, I'll be talking about these things. And, and I'm going to use three words to talk about this thing propitiation and it is such an incredible word how much how many of you were here for our study in the book of Leviticus anybody okay you remember when we came to the, the, the study about the creation of the the ark of the covenant that set in the holy of holies you, anybody remember that okay some of you are nodding yes good and wonder of wonders what was that thing on top the lid that had the the, the cherubim, uh, the seraphim on it, what, the angels. It was called the mercy seat. Does anybody know what it was actually called? The propitiation. And here's why. Oh, it, it was just so rich when we studied Leviticus because we discovered that this foreshadowed what Christ would do when the high priest on the day of atonement, one time in the year when the sacrifice was slaughtered and he would carry the blood he was serious about it. And he carried the blood into the Holy of Holies where no one went but the high priest and only once a year. And he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat to cover the sins of the people of Israel. The penal substitutionary Atonement of Christ. And by the way, this is where we reach the heart. The crux of Christianity is the cross. It's everything. And that's a picture. Here we reach the, the, the real. This is the real crux, folks. The heart. The heart of hearts. How else do I say it? God's purpose was this. Punishment for sin. That's what the word penal has to do with. The punishment for sin. For the sake of mercy. That's why it was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Mercy to sinners. Jesus knew on the cross all of the pain, physical, mental that man could inflict, but that wasn't all. He also knew the Father's wrath and rejection and shame that our sins deserve. Because, second word, substitutionary, he took our 
place. He was our substitute. We are the ones who should have been condemned and crucified. He took our place. Kids, you know, if you disobeyed your parents, I've got a story that I tell a lot. I won't tell it again today about our own kids and how this happened. But, But if you did something that you knew you were getting a spanking for, your mom and your dad, and they would be just in doing that. You were going to get a spanking. How would you feel if your brother or sister came in and said to your mom or dad, would you spank me instead? I want to receive, your brother said, or your sister, I want to receive the punishment due to you. How would that make you feel? Folks, that's what it means that Jesus is our substitute. And then atonement simply means appeasing God's wrath, making atonement for us. Now, in every other religion other than Christianity, when there is a God, the teaching is that in some way we can appease God by offering various gifts or various sacrifice. Whether it's a literal sacrifice or we try to be good and when we get to to eternity, we die and in the afterlife, we're going to get on the balance scales and our good works will outweigh our bad works. And that's what the world believes, at least the world who believes in God. But it is foolishness to think that our good deeds can someday outweigh our bad deeds. Even our best deeds are defective, filled with mixed motives. And secondly, and most importantly, that's not the way that God has chosen to save. It is Christianity alone that believes that the Bible says that God himself provided the only means through which his wrath can be appeased and sinful man reconciled to him. There's so many ways that it says it. I've shown you several scriptures, but one of my favorite is is this in Colossians 2, 13 and 14. I'll just read the whole thing. I was going to read just that one phrase, but you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you were unclean, you were an outcast. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our our trespasses. Now watch this. God doesn't just forgive as in overlooking. He cancels the record of debt that stands against us with its legal demands. How does he do it? He nails it to the cross. He provided the substitute. Now, I want want you to get this because these words are very important. Jesus absorbed... God's wrath in bearing the curse for all who trust Him. Do you you get this? It's very important that you see it. And that's why in in a lot of churches, all we hear about is God is love, God forgives. We, We never get to the why behind it. God cannot forgive unless there has been punishment, there's been a substitution, and there has been something not just to cancel sin, listen to this, this is important, but to absorb it. His wrath was not withdrawn, 
it was spent. And I was very tempted to run to verses in the Bible that talk about that. that that's, but that's for, that's for on end to our study in, in the Apostles' Creed. But I will mention this. That's why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm not talking about eternal. I'm talking for now. And there's this subtle thought sometimes in the back of our minds that God still, well, he canceled the debt, but he's, he could bring it up at any time. No, he, listen, he can't bring it up because there's no more. It's spent. It's absorbed. It was all put on Jesus Christ. And when we begin to understand that, that's why Christianity is a hallelujah kind of religion, while all other religions are not. So let me throw in a couple of more words, theological words. You've got propitiation down, don't you? Penal, substitutionary, atonement. All right. It means that we're redeemed. In him we have redemption through his blood. Forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus has, this is so good, he has rescued you and me from the bondage and the misery that we were in by the payment of his own blood. And I'll get into this more next week. What it means that Jesus descended to the dead. But that is stunning because it means that he's He's redeemed us. He's taken away the fear of death for those who know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to have the fear of death no matter what you do, no matter how good your vacations are or the things that you distract yourself with, there will be in your quiet moments the fear of death unless you know this Jesus who has re- he's redeemed us. Because of propitiation, we were reconciled to God. Look at this. Not when you were on your best. While you were an enemy, you were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more now that you're reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. That word atonement, did you write that down? I want you to put a little line after the T and after the E. And that's a picture of being reconciled to God. At one meant. Hmm. Formerly we were estranged. Now we have been brought into oneness with God through Jesus Christ. Oh, there's one more. There are a lot of them I could add. I'm just going to throw in three of them for you today. Because of the the cross. Remember, the cross is the crux, and the crux is the cross. He has given you and me the victory over all of the hostile powers that kept us and sometimes are still keeping us in sin and out of God's favor. He disarmed them when he went to the cross and when he died. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Now remember, the payment wasn't made to Satan. The payment was made to God. Okay, let's go on to the last two. That was the first one. Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins according to the scripture 
Jesus Christ truly died. I'm just going to lump these two together. He was buried. He really died, and he really was buried. See, the death of Jesus is the turning point of all of history. And religions don't like this. I've mentioned to you that, that Islam, they hate the idea of the cross and his death and his burial. Oh, he wasn't really, he didn't really die. The Lord spirited him away. There are other mystery religions that say the same thing. Folks, Jesus really died. Not only was he crucified according to the scripture, but he died according to the scripture. Death. Somebody called death the new obscenity. Death is the thing that no polite person talks about in public. We don't like to talk about the reality of death. That's why we've come up with euphemisms for death. Now, some of these are good, okay? Some of them are Christian. Some, not so much. Here are some of the euphemisms that maybe you've used. Passed away. That's not bad. He did pass away, but he died. Okay? You can soften it. Death is reality. Breathed his last. Or you can go with a more poetic Shakespeare. He shuffled off this mortal coil. I kind of like that one. And if you're a little bit more of a uh, down-to-earth kind of guy, you can say he's pushing up daisies. Kick the bucket. Again, a little bit softer, but not Christian sometimes. He met his maker. And of course, in this part of the country, he's going to the happy hunting ground. The Bible talks about it in terms of sleep and rest. And the Bible thinks it's precious. When Jan and I went by to see Kathy, and it was her last day to be alive. We walked into the room. Some of the family was gathered around her. And Mark her son was quoting Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And it really is. But let me just say something to you particularly that may not know Christ, even if it is unmentionable. Even if I offended you by some of the euphemisms that I used a minute ago, death is still inescapable. And remember what we've been saying this, this whole sermon. Death is ultimately related to sin. Death is required of sinners. Jesus died. He received judgment. The one who was obedient was stricken with the judgment of the disobedient. 
the judgment of the sin of first Adam was transferred, that's the substitutionary part, to second Adam. Read the book of Romans. That's Jesus. The life of second Adam, Jesus was given to the descendants of first Adam. The sting of death is removed because he died for our sins. That Christ died is a simple matter of history, seemingly insignificant. Everyone dies, but that Christ died for our sins is the gospel. Next week we'll talk more. I, I, I have been looking forward to grappling with that verse that some say it says he descended into hell, he descended to the dead. I've been looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it, the Lord willing, next week. Because death, what is death? It's a separation. It's a dividing of things that ought not to be divided. They'll be rejoined in the resurrection, thank God. Because God made human beings to be embodied soul. And death rips this union asunder. And next week we'll look a little bit more about that. And the resting place of those who have died until the final resurrection. been applying this personally all along but let me do one more time if you are a believer in Jesus Christ that means you have believed that his death on the cross his burial was for you and you have received that reality you've repented of sins and you've turned by faith to Jesus Christ you may not be able to explain it all it's accessible to the youngest. And those of us who are older know that we will swim in its waters for eternity and never uncover the depth of it. And that's great news. But if you are here today and you are still in that place, young or old, you're just not, you're just not sure. Death frightens you. I mean, really frightens. concerned about its sting and please before the day is over give me a call or come come down in just a few minutes and or after the service and let's talk and there are others here Jim's over here kickers over there we would love nothing more than to talk with you about what it means to know Jesus so that when death comes as it will barring a return of the Lord you will know that you will go into the arms of your Savior. Father, I thank you for the wonderful message of Scripture. And sometimes it is almost, it's just not easy to express. But Lord, you've told us all that we need to know for life and for godliness in your word. And I pray that this message would just stack on all of the other ones that we've heard and would be a prelude to uh, even more as we talk about Jesus descended to the dead and on the third day he was raised and all of the rest. So Father, help us in these moments as we wrap this time of worship together. Pray that people would respond to your word as it's been proclaimed.
Oh God, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may they respond. Help us now, Lord, to live out what we have learned. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.